Well, this is the first week of Advent. As uh, Travis was telling us earlier, the word Advent comes from a, a Greek word, Adventus, which means coming. The word Advent in general just means the coming of some significant person or some significant event. Uh, in our case, we're talking about the birth of Christ, the coming of our Savior. And so as we celebrate the Advent season, the hope is that we're all going to gain a better understanding of the significance of Christ coming into the world to save his people. Today our focus is going to be on, on hope. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, turn over to Romans 15. We're going to start reading in verse 8. Romans 15, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The grass withers, the flower fades. I was talking to Josiah last week, and the movie E.T. came up, and got me thinking back to when I first saw E.T. I was actually about five years old when it came out in theaters. It was one of the first movies that I have any memory of watching in the movie theater, and I can remember absolutely loving it, uh, of desiring Reese's Pieces for a while after that, because of course that's what E.T. eats, uh, and I wanted to, to meet E.T., and at that age you kind of have this imagination that every noise outside might just be E.T., and so there was that hope that, you know, one day my dog will be barking, and indeed I will meet E.T. <laughs> I also remember a few years later that my, my parents took my two older brothers and me to the movie theaters, and the best part about this trip was we actually got to pick out what movie we were going to watch. I can remember I wanted to see some cartoon, but my brothers told me that E.T. Part 2 was out. It was called E.T. The Quest, and I was all for going to watch that. Uh, I had a box of candy, and I settled in my seat ready to watch E.T. Part 2. It didn't take long, and there was Elliot. He shows up on the screen, and Elliot's riding his bike down this train track and this thing that attached it to it. And it was really one of the neatest things ever. I was excited for the sequel. And now I was just waiting for E.T. to show up. By the time the movie was half over, I leaned over to my brother Brad and I asked him, so where, you know, where's E.T.? And he told me, just, just wait, he'll show up. Well, the movie ended eventually and E.T. never, ever showed up. You might know this. I was the youngest in my family, so I certainly didn't know it. Uh, E.T. never had a sequel. <clears throat> My brother wanted to see some somewhat scary movie that happened to star the exact same actor who played Elliot in E.T. and convinced me that this was the sequel to E.T. So I am the only person in history to ever sit down in a theater to watch the sequel to E.T. <laughs> I tell you this uh, because I sat in that theater and I hoped... Uh, I hoped for E.T. to show up, and I, I kept waiting, and I was hoping based on my brother's words, and yet E.T. never, ever did show up. It, it was disappointing, to say the least, and I, I fear that often we think of the hope of the gospel in that same way. 
We fear that maybe it's not real. Maybe Jesus isn't going to show up. See, where we live in history, we are looking back to the first coming of Jesus. And we are looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And as we celebrate Advent this year, I I want the fulfillment of that ancient promise to to strengthen your hope. To strengthen your your hope in the future promise, in the current promise that we, we exist in. The promise that Jesus has redeemed you and will return again. And this is the hope that we have, that Jesus died for the sins of his people, and we are made his people when we are given the gift of faith, gift to believe the gospel. Now, that's the message of 1 Peter 1.3, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been given hope in the gospel. And each of us need to constantly renew that hope as we look back to that again and again to strengthen our hope. See, we tend to think of the word hope in its its modern sense as something that might or might not happen. We might say, I hope the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year. Well, the Chiefs might win the Super Bowl, but the Chiefs also might not win the Super Bowl. We don't really know. Really, we don't even expect it. Uh, But hope hasn't always meant that. If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll even see that there's a similar yet separate definition in the dictionary, and it's marked with this phrase archaic, the archaic definition. Archaic just means really, really old, older than your iPhone 4S, significantly older. So the archaic definition of the word hope is is defined as to have confidence in, to trust, you catch the difference there? When we today use the word hope, we often mean, I wish. I wish something would happen. But we have no idea if it will. I wish the Chiefs would win the Super Bowl. That's what we mean when we say that. But that's not the use of the word hope in our Bibles here. When Scripture uses this word hope, it means I am confident that Jesus will come again. I trust that Jesus will come again. And in Psalm 119.81, we read, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. It doesn't mean I I wish in your word. It means I I trust in your word. I have confidence in your word. So let's look at our text today as it leads up to that great statement on hope. Paul is writing. He's making a point about the gospel coming not only to Israel, but to people of every nationality in every country. Uh, So I'm going to reread verses 8 and 9, and I want you to follow along and think about this question. Why was Christ made a servant? The answer is right in our text. Why was Christ made a servant? Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might... Glorify God in his mercy. And so Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's, that's talking about the Jews, the Israel, the people, the Jewish people. He became a servant to the Jewish people. And what I love about this detail of Jesus being a servant is, is that it tells us something about our king. This shows that the kingdom that Jesus brings is unexpected. It's not what they expect. See, he doesn't come in and and clean house. He doesn't come with force and dominating. We see kingdoms or governments all the time in our news, even today, being torn down by force and a new one being built up by some sort of force. 
What we see with Jesus, though, is very different. He comes as a servant. He comes after the hearts of his people to renovate our hearts. And that's the kingdom that Jesus brings, and I love it. But I want you to see something else as well. What was the reason that Christ became a servant? Right there in verse 9, we see it's to show God's truthfulness. And then our text says the same thing again in another way. It says to confirm the promises given. In verses 10 through 12, we're going to look at those promises in a little more detail. Right now, though, I want you to see that the ultimate purpose in our text given for Christ becoming a servant, if you look at verse 9, it says that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Gentiles. Unless you're of Jewish descent, some of you might be, but unless that's true of you, that's speaking about you. And so do you catch the significance for this? Jesus became a servant to the Jews so that you might glorify God for his mercy. So do we? Do we glorify God for his mercy? I believe we do. Maybe not as well as we we could. How many of our issues in our life fall under that? Not as well as we could, but certainly my hope and When I use the word hope here, I mean it in the archaic sense. My hope is that as we look at this text today, we might grow to glorify God for his mercy more and more. One way we glorify God for his mercy is through singing worship to him. We sing to God how thankful we are for his giving us faith, for his saving us from our sin, for his mercy towards us. Some people don't like singing. Some of you in here might not like singing. In fact, there are churches today that have no singing at all. Not any. And the reason is because they've done research that says men would rather not sing, and so they've created churches that have no singing. I wonder what else the churches would look like based on research. See, our love of singing, or our distaste for singing, is really not the point of our singing together in worship. The point is that we are singing worship to our God. See, singing is communal language, something we do together in community. And there is this reaction that takes place when we really see Jesus and all that he is for us. The feeling we have in response to the mercy of God towards us, which we have received in the gospel, simply can't be held back. When our eyes are open to see God's mercies, it's really... It's like Mentos being put into a two-liter of Diet Coke. It can't be contained. If you've never seen that, it just explodes forth. Out comes praise. Because when people's eyes are opened, when their ears can hear the word of God, when their hearts can believe, then there is rejoicing, there is worship, there is hope. Now, this text speaks also of the reason of the Incarnation. Jesus comes as the man to show God's truthfulness, to show us that God keeps his promises. That God keeps his promises is foundational to our hope. But what promises are we talking about? Paul lists them off in verses 9 through 12. All are, are quoted from the Old Testament. And together, they actually represent the three aspects of the Old Testament, the law, the wisdom, and the prophets. And so let's read that part again and then consider each section. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. 
And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 9 is quoted from Psalm 1849. When the psalmist speaks about praising God, he does so and, and he mentions the Gentiles there. That's us, remember? And admittedly, even that verse is a little bit vague as to whether the Gentiles are going to be praising God or whether the psalmist is simply going to be around them praising God. The second verse, though, clears that up. The second verse is also from the Old Testament. We read here in verse 10, certainly less vague. It's from Deuteronomy 32:43, And it's clear that the Gentiles will be rejoicing with the people of God. The third verse we read, in Romans 15:11 is quoted from Psalm 117:1. Psalm 117 actually only has two verses. So if you ever have to memorize a psalm, that's where you go. The first verse is quoted right in our text and we we read it here. It encourages the Gentiles to praise the Lord. The second verse, the other verse in Psalm 17 gives the reason for our praise and, and the reason if you were to turn over to Psalm 117 is that it's a response to God's steadfast love for us. That's the mercy the mercy that we are seeing in, in Christ. The fourth and last verse quoted here is from Isaiah 11.10. And in our text it says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. See this phrase, the root of Jesse, is a reference to Jesus our Lord. If you remember, Jesse is the father of, of King David. The promise was that one of David's descendants, and, and thus also one of Jesse's descendants, would redeem the people of God. Uh, Jesus is a descendant of Jesse. He is the root that is spoken of here. So what does this tell us that Jesus is going to do? He, it says he will rule the Gentiles. Well, ruling doesn't always sound like a good thing, but I tell you, this is a good thing. We want a ruler like Jesus, a good king. As, as much as we complain about the men in political office today, we should have real hope that the king, our king, who really rules us is Jesus Christ. He's our hope. Let's not take that for granted. Verse 13, then, is a bit of a, a benediction, a good word, a blessing. Let me set it up to you by reading Ephesians 2.12, which reminds us that we as Gentiles were not always included in the people of God. Ephesians 2.12 reads, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were without hope. And the way that we received hope was the advent. We needed the coming of Jesus to redeem us, to bring us into his house. And this is a huge thing when we come to Romans 15, 13, in our text today, and we read this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You see here what God desires for us? His desire is that we abound in hope. That word abound means to have something in large quantities, bunches of something. You and I, we, we abound in money. No matter how poor you think you are, compared to most of the people on this planet, we abound in money. We also abound in worries and stress. Uh, we abound in clothing. We abound in information. But let me ask you, do you abound in hope? Do you possess loads of hope? 
Does your life reflect huge quantities of trust in our Lord Jesus Christ? Do, do you rest today in what Christ has done for you, and are you expectant of what Christ will yet do for you? This Advent, my desire is to have abounding hope. I want that for all of us to gain greater trust in our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, there are many biblical ways we might encourage our hope that we might have it in abundance, or, or rather that we might see that we already have this hope in abundance. I'll give you five of them as we close out here. Number one, take stock of your life. Stock is a word that refers to what's already on the premises. Uh, the stock of a store is what's already physically present there. When I say take stock of your life, I mean stop and look at what God has already done in your life. Christian, think of the blessings of Christ, relational blessings, of family, of your church family, of your friends, of all that he's given you relationally, material blessings, of, of food to eat and transportation and a warm place to sleep tonight, even though it's freezing outside. Think of the more important blessings of faith, such as the gift of faith itself, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the forgiveness of your sin. See, there's hope in that because no matter what happens around us, the forgiveness of our sin gives us reason for hope. The second way to encourage our abounding in hope is to preach the word to yourself, to preach the gospel to yourself, also to your friends and to your families. Uh, that's exactly what we're told to do in Romans 15.4, just a few verses earlier than what we're looking at today, where it says, For whatever was written in former, day, former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, and listen to this, through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That means read the scriptures and tell yourself how the truth of the scriptures apply to your life. And we put this into practice. We might say, you know, what is killing my joy right now? What is robbing me of joy in my life? And then we fight back at that by going to the Word of God and applying that. And this means we've got to make time for reading our Bibles. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If I can make one thing true about my life and your life, it would be that we spend time in God's Word every single day. There's simply no substitute for that in our lives. You want hope and abundance? then soak up the Word of God. At Christmas time, it's easy to become consumeristic. Really, everything's on sale. People want to buy you stuff. So it's easy just to get excited about buying stuff. I think it's also, particularly in the church, it's easy for us to rage against consumerism, to swing the other way, to make that the Christmas season really about this anti-consumerism. And my plea is that we not be about consumerism, but that we also not be about anti-consumerism. Rather, let us be about Jesus. Let's feed our soul daily with the Word of God, which will help us remember that our life really is all about Jesus. The third way to encourage our hearts to abundant faith is to remember God's promises kept in the past. The Old Testament saints waited and waited, and waited, and waited, and it seemed like God might never, ever send a Redeemer. And then according to His timing, He did. Rest in the truth that God is a promise keeper. 
God has proven himself in the past to us. God will return for his people. You can hope for that. You can hope with the real expectation of that day. We rejoice at the first advent, and we hope for the second advent. The fourth thing we need to remember is that no one is ever beyond redemption. God can soften even the hardest heart. That is one of the most uh, encouraging things to me as I really pray for family members and those that just seem to have such hard hearts. God can make white even the dirtiest of stains in the world. And I remember a while back I was reading a novel and one of the characters made a statement that was really profound. One of those things that you highlight even in a fiction novel. And it's really profound as you read this in, in, in the context of our Christian faith. One character was speaking about a girl that, that just viewed herself as broken broken to the point of no redemption. And the character regarding her tells her this, says, speaks of her and says this. He says, we need never be hopeless because we can never be irreparably broken. See, that's why the gospel is an endless fountain of hope for the people of God. You might come from a messed up background. You might have made numerous bad choices in rebellion against God. You might struggle against some difficult sin in your life. But remember, we don't come to Christ perfect. Rather, he comes to us and he finds us broken and he begins the work of repairing us. Sanctification is is that process of our being repaired. See, immediately our standing before God is to be white as snow, perfect in his sight. And and yet in our actual lives, God is even repairing us through this process that we see as sanctification. And when Christ returns, we will be made absolutely perfect. Remember, so long as God has given you breath, it is never too late to find rest in the hope of the gospel. And this is also true for the people you pray for, the people that you wish and you hope to see put their faith in Christ, to believe the gospel. And the last way to encourage our hope is this, to set your gaze on Christ. Let me remind you that the hope that we have in the gospel is a sure thing. It's also a real thing. I think that needs to be said from time to time. We live in a secular world, and it's easy to adopt a secular worldview. The the view that the birth of Christ is an old story, and we forget that it's an actual historical thing. So let us be active and intentional to set our gaze on Christ. There is hope because Jesus really has come. There is hope because Jesus really does give us power. Jesus really does save us from our sin. Jesus really will return, and Jesus really will raise us from the dead. So not only is there hope for the future, but there's hope for today as well. Like the hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, Our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave our God above. But too often we take our eyes off Jesus and we put them on ourselves or we put them on our problems or we put them on our desires. It ought not be that way. Uh, For hope to sustain us, we, we must keep our eyes on Christ. Church, as we embark on this Advent season, let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let us help each other to keep our focus on Jesus so that we might abound in hope through this Advent season and beyond.